Well, our team just ended our meeting, our team meeting with half the people saying, I love you at the end. And, you know, I was like, that's the ethos that we're trying to build, that ethos of trust and real connection. Because building a business is hard and you got to do it with people that you love and that you trust. Market by market, the solar industry is crossing the chasm from early adopters to the early mass market. And one thing is clear, what got us here won't get us there. The days of installation crews doing their own service work are nearly non-existent. And today, customers expect more. The truth is, traditional operations and maintenance is, well, reactive. The future of solar is proactive. I'm Nico Johnson, host of Suncast, where I've interviewed hundreds of clean energy leaders in an effort to guide your career and company through this energy transformation. This is our latest educational series, and it's focused on how we can leverage the post-installation customer experience to move beyond simple O&M and find meaningful ways to delight and entice the next wave of clean energy enthusiasts through proactive engagement. In this final episode of our six-part series, we will attempt to address one last element of the conversation that's been an overarching theme in this series. What is the business purpose of culture? And how do we scale companies while maintaining a culture that delights the customer and anticipates their needs? To discuss this, I brought in Mark Liffman and Brad Davis, both co-founders and the CEO and CMO, respectively, of Omnidian. And we reflect on several of the moments in the series that underscore the kinds of values and mission they believe points to the solar business of the future, one that scales to the early majority, and it's a very customer-centric perspective. We get insights from Brad's deep experience at retail giant Target, and both executives point out the ways in which the core product we are really selling isn't technology or kilowatt hours. It's much simpler and, frankly, much harder to maintain. It's trust. Whether you're experiencing the pains of a growing solar business or just starting out and want to learn from the pros, I hope you'll subscribe to the show and join in this important conversation as we explore the future of solar. The Beyond O&M series is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you in partnership with Omnidian. Throughout the series, you've heard examples of the ways in which our industry has approached customer service, approached product delivery that pretty well matches to this whole idea of what we introduced in the very first episode, Crossing the Chasm. Our industry has necessarily been really focused on deployment, getting product out into the field. We've, in many ways, overpromised on the idea that this product doesn't break. You don't have anything to worry about. But we've overpromised to consumers with a relatively high risk threshold. As you'll hear in today's discussion, the narrative around how we can better serve the customer really hinges on the evolution of customer service and deeply understanding the elements of culture that we really must get right to cross this chasm and grow this industry. Joining me for this episode six are the CEO and CMO. Mark Lipman and Brad Davis, respectively, of Omnidian. And we're going to dive in on the topic of how we go beyond O&M. And really, I hope, paint for you a picture that opens as many 
opportunities for answers as give them to you around what the future of solar really can be. To do so, I'm going to invite Mark into the discussion. And I want to begin, Mark, with a relatively, I think, simple, maybe benign, but hopefully uh, inspired question. Mark, as I've described it, we have existed for the better part of a decade, maybe two, in this overpromise and potentially under deliver scenario. Could you take me back to the moment in your career where you recognize that as true? What were the telltale signs and how did you rationalize what you personally needed to do about it? Yeah, no, great question. I've been in the industry for 20 plus years now since it was about a thousandth the size it is today. And uh, when we were selling to those customers who just wanted to pay enormous amounts of money for, for solar systems that they were the first one of anybody they knew who, who bought them. But the sort of aha moment for me was when I was, uh, before I started Omnidian, I was talking to Dave Kenny, who would eventually become my co-founder and our chief operating officer. And Dave at that time was with a large lease and PPA company, and he was responsible for managing that fleet. I was selling him a data product that gave him uh, data on the irradiance, the sunlight that was hitting it every point on the earth, which should have been very helpful to him. And Dave said to me at that point, he's like, I would love to use this. I can see how valuable this is, but I can't use it. We're not technologically capable of using it yet. And that was sort of the aha moment. This, this was a company that had tens of thousands of that, that time, now hundreds of thousands of assets under management, tens of thousands of solar systems on people's roofs. And they really were not investing in managing those systems. And that got me to thinking, and it got Dave to thinking, and we, we got together and pulled in Brad and pulled in Ray, our other co-founders, to form Omnidian because we said, this industry is really underserved. If this big lease and PPA company can't manage their assets, what are we doing to these poor homeowners, these poor business owners who are putting these systems, paying their cash or borrowing money for these systems and putting them on the roof? And you know, what the industry was doing is saying, no moving parts, 25 years, put it on your roof and forget it. And at that point, we knew that was not true. Maybe early in the evolution of our industry, we thought it was true, but it's not true. And, it, you know, it's really a disservice to our customer to tell them that. And that was sort of the aha moment for us. Dave and I, Brad, Ray, uh, all of our co-founders, and now all of our employees are really passionate about this industry. And we knew this was going to fall apart on us. Like if we destroy the trust with the customer because we are not telling them the truth at the moment of sale and not protecting them over the life of that asset, we will destroy that trust and it will undermine our industry. So that was the moment where we said, we have to do something about this. And that's really why we formed Omnidian. One of the things I loved about it is he wasn't looking around trying to duplicate a model or trying to improve one. He was trying to create a model that didn't exist. That's what's really fascinating to me about that story, Nico, right? Is that sense of empathy with the customer and understanding what the long-term impact of that would be. It'd be devastating for the industry. I actually learned everything I know about understanding customers and from Brad. So Brad once told me, when you don't know what to do, ask the customer. The customer has all the answers and all the money and went and said, what does the customer really want here? What do our customers, what do our solar customers really want? And solar customers don't actually want solar panels. They don't want a solar system. 
They want electricity that is coming from a solar system. They want that power that runs their home and allows them to do all, all, their, all their things. They want to know that it's coming from somewhere clean. And they don't want the hassle of yet one more thing that breaks in their, in their home. You know, that is sort of the problem we're trying to solve is, you know, ensure for customers, homeowners, business owners, that they get what they want, which is they get the energy from their solar system. For those unfamiliar, as I had hinted in the beginning, Brad Davis is the chief marketing officer and co-founder as well of Mnidian. There is a great interview with Brad in the Suncast canon. I would encourage you to go back and listen so you can have a better understanding of Brad's deep and truly respectable background. Brad, I'd love to hear your perspective as a professional marketer, someone who has curated a customer journey in mature industries, retail, financial markets. How did you think about or observe the customer journey from SunPower to Omnidian and help me understand the tension that you see in our industry, which is very much still immature? When I was working in uh, retail for Target, I learned a lot about the customer journey uh, through that experience and at uh, Washington Mutual J.P. Morgan Chase, or CMO. But I realized that the mistake that people were making in many industries is that they were selling things rather than selling the experience. And the best mentors I ever had, uh, one that uh, Mark and I both know, he was the CEO of Washington Mutual. His name is Lou Pepper. Lou Pepper said something to me one time that I will never forget, is that ultimately, no matter what business we're in, the only thing we sell is trust. And that's where I realized we had a big opportunity because people were talking about the products they were selling. They're all black. They're attractive. All the things that ultimately wouldn't sustain the industry long-term. That was the real issue. And Mark and I had a meeting of the minds and we agreed that we weren't selling things. We were selling an experience and we agreed that the only thing ultimately that we were selling is trust. What you said about trust and what Lou Pepper says uh, about the business that we're in resonates throughout this entire series of interviews that I've done on the concept that we need to move beyond O&M, that we need to move into a new era of proactive customer engagement. And it's remarkable. I hope that, I hope that folks really wrap their hands around the truism. It's not just marketing speak that we aren't selling a thing. We are truly selling an experience. It was something that really came out in the interview with Kevin Schulte from GreenSpark. The way that he communicated and conveyed the ultimate goal of that business, the cultivation of trust, you know, it really speaks to the kind of underlying fabric of the companies that we need to build. Mark, I'd love to hear from your perspective, as you set out on this journey, to build a vehicle that would deliver on a new customer experience. What are the elements that were important for you on behalf of the customer, on behalf of mitigating the risk to our industry or the important things about the construction of the business itself that you and the team focused in on beyond just the product of Omnidian, beyond the, the thing that you were creating? What was important about the construction of the company itself? We thought very early on that in building a company to deliver performance assurance for these assets that are going to last for 20 or 25 years, we had to absolutely build trust with our customers, with our employees, with all of our partners. And to do that, we had to lay out the pillars that 
upon which we were building that trust. And those pillars are our values. So we sat down to do mission, vision, and values, and we spent all our time on values. And the funny thing is we changed our mission and vision a whole bunch of times over the, the course of having Omnidian, and we basically never changed the values. We reworded a couple things a few times, but the values have just stayed the same. And I think of those as sort of the bedrock of the company, and they have to be the bedrock of a company in our space because we are asking people, homeowners, business owners, financial investors to trust us with these assets and to be there for them for 25 or 30 years. And we fully intend to do that. And we want to build a company that can last built on those values. Let me tack onto that because I know when we were building our values, one of the things that Mark and I were talking about is the importance not only of talking about what the value is, but how we execute it. So let me give you an example. Our number one value is delight our customers. Well, how many people across the nation would say that? Our mission is to delight our customers. And we sat back as a leadership team early on and we said, how will we make that happen? How will everyone, whether there are 100 or 1,000 people in the organization, understand their role in delighting the customer? And what we said is, we delight our customers by identifying and removing the roadblocks and friction in their journey with us. And think about how powerful that is, right? Because it inspires everyone in the organization to be alert, to identify issues, to share them up rapidly, and to be on a mission to eliminate that friction and those roadblocks in our customer's journey with us. We just thought it was really uh, uh, powerful. That's really cool. I love that you followed up on that and you jumped right in. Thank you. Mark, I'd like to jump back to you for a second and hear what other values were present in the beginning that, as you said, are the through line of, of the business itself. Delight the customer uh, in the ways that Brad just enunciated. Can you give us some more? They've stayed the same since we started the company. They live on our website. So every customer, every partner, every employee can see them. And I start my welcome to every new set of employees who join us by taking them through our values. So it starts with delivering value for our customers. And then it goes to, we trust our teammates. But we don't trust our teammates to just do anything. We trust our teammates to ask for help fast, to identify opportunities and respond quickly. And we've got a great team. I was talking with uh, one of our leaders of one of our, our, our teams yesterday, and uh, she'd gotten on a call with me and she was laughing. And uh, I said, why are you laughing? And she said, well, our team just ended our meeting, our team meeting with half the people saying, I love you at the end. And, you know, I was like, that's the ethos that we're trying to build, that ethos of trust and real connection, because building a business is hard and you got to do it with people that you love and that you trust. The, the third one was we invest in our people. So our people are what we build the company on. And so we've got to invest in them. We're growing very fast. That means our people have to grow very fast with us. So we've got to make the investments in their professional and personal growth along the way to make sure that they can grow with us along the way. Our fourth one is we reward results. At the end of the day, it's the results that we deliver, whether that is helping the next customer out on the phone who you know is having a challenge, building the next, writing the next line of code to be able to detect issues faster, uh, use machine learning to find issues for our customers faster. 
Our fifth one, and the one I sometimes think we should have put first, is we treat everyone with dignity and respect. And that is, we treat everyone with dignity and respect, period. That is everyone, and that is always with dignity and respect. And the final one is we behave ethically and honestly. And this is the one we almost left out because we're like, it's obvious. Why, why do we have to state it? And then we realize we, we do. Even if it's obvious, our industry has not always lived by this. And we need to show that we, we need to state this. We need everybody to live this as part of their, their core values. I worked for a company who did the same. Every orientation, obviously, they would say the, they would say the mission, but they actually started every meeting with the mission and uh, with the value, sorry. The one that stood out to me, and I had to go back to the CEO afterwards and ask a similar question. Why do you feel like this needs to be in the value itself? You'll immediately identify it. The value was we do what we say we will do. I said to him at you know 26 years old, why would we not do what we say we would do? And he said, no offense, but you haven't been in the construction industry long enough to understand this core value. And you know, Nico, when it comes to that value, right? What often happens when people talk about behaving ethically, they don't get the sin of omission. And we wanted to be really clear about that. So what we said is we don't deliberately mislead or deceive other people by misrepresentations, overstatements, partial truths, selective omissions, or any other means. There's no place to move, right? You tell the truth, you conduct yourself honestly, and that's an expectation that we have. And so it's not necessarily the things you say. Behaving ethically can often have to do with the things you fail to say. One of the things that I've observed in the course of completing this series and interviewing some remarkable entrepreneurs is a through line that I thought I might find, but that truly is, I believe, a fundamental requirement. And we're touching on it here, but it comes back, it's more than values because values define a thing that we call culture, right? And that was a little bit of what I was hinting at in the question earlier to you, Mark, is how do you build a business with this kind of a mission, the mission that is so big that we all as an industry can align around it, which is not necessarily true in other industries, right? But we as an industry have an aligning mission around climate action and climate change and our ability to lead consumers on a new journey, on a new experience of how they can personally make actions that will change the future, like literally change the future for their grandchildren. I was inspired by the number of times I found that the guest in the episode either was on the path towards becoming a public benefit corporation, B Corp, or was already one, or in the case of GreenSpark was both a public benefit corporation and a part of an organization like Amicus and how often they referred to generally the filter beyond their internal corporate culture, but the filter for them of developing partnerships, meaning how they trust others in the industry had to do with this idea around cultural fit. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time here and see if we can unpack something that I don't think I did a fair job at in the last five episodes. And that is really seeing if we can put a pin in what is the business purpose of culture. Brad, I know that's something that you spend a lot of time thinking about, and I'd love to get the, your sentiments, uh, both of you, around how you can develop a culture beyond what we have from the outside of the industry, been deemed as sort of this historically crunchy, granola, hippie, out of, you know, sort of Humboldt 
inventions, right? Or, or Burlington, Vermont, like how we grow out of that, but still maintain a culture that cares, a culture that says, I love you. And yet fulfills a real business purpose. Yeah. I think in our industry, right, the post-purchase experience at its worst has been viewed as an afterthought or even a nuisance, right? And at its worst, you'll hear people say, you know, promises are made in sales and promise keepers are in operations. I think you you heard that in, uh, in one of the interviews, which I thought was right. And if you have this whole idea that trust is really the only thing you sell, it, that's often difficult to find and difficult to create, right? Because really as an industry, we're delivering not only systems, but we're delivering value and we're delivering a great customer experience. And when you think about value, this is a mistake I think the industry makes a lot of times. Value doesn't have to do with money. If you have a premium experience, you will pay a premium price for a premium experience. So value doesn't always have to do with money. Value has to do with time and emotion. And if you can save your customers time and you can save them negative emotions, you'll have word of mouth and you'll have referrals and it'll, it'll have a, a, an important impact. And, you know, one of the things that I love when speaking with our clients is that this whole idea of like, we use a platform to solve this problem called culture. But the business purpose of culture, when you think about it, really, is to be able to overcome this challenge of scale, Right. Our industry is going to be undergoing incredible growth like we have never seen in the history of the industry. That's what's coming our way. And our partners and this industry is going to have to have the capability to scale. You mentioned GreenSpark earlier. And uh, I know that one of the things that they said is, you know, they were looking at vertical disintegration. This idea of like bringing on partners who could take a piece of the customer experience and execute it with excellence, right? And they said they were faced with a challenge, a make or buy decision. They have thousands and thousands of customers, right? And they wanted to find the right partner who could move from service to satisfaction and who could introduce this idea of uh, delighting and surprising their customers with the post-purchase experience. And I think that is the path, really, to be able to scale our business and I think more and more people, particularly when you look at like the $369 billion uh, infusion of incentives that's about to come our way, one of the things I think that is going to distinguish the winners from the losers is this post-purchase experience and this capability not only to sell systems, but in the long term, sell an experience that allows customer care not to be a cost center, but a revenue generator. If you think about the customer journey, we as an industry focus on this tiny portion of the customer journey that is from lead generation to installation. That is generally three to six months of a solar customer's journey with solar. Yeah. The next 20 or 25 years is the post-purchase experience. You have to build the trust in the post-purchase experience. So if you work backwards from what the customer needs, the customer needs this great journey. Yeah. They need to trust the company that they're working with. And you build this culture to deliver that trust. And think about the impact as more and more people across the country have solar, right? What's going to happen is that when they're trying to make a purchase decision, they're not necessarily going to do their research online. They're going to talk to other people that they know, and they're going to ask for their recommendations and their experience with the companies they dealt with. Look how often we do that with consumer products or other things. You'll turn to your friends, right? And you'll say, what kind of experience did you have? And after you bought the product, what was your experience with the product, right? 
And so that's why we're saying that this whole idea of customer care isn't a cost center. It's viewed that way today in a lot of cases, but it's a revenue generator, particularly in the long term and as the industry grows. One of the questions that I posed for Kevin Schulte was this concept around the seeming, at times, the seeming uh, distance between building a company that addresses climate action, meaning like, let's do something that scales fast. Let's, we, have, we have a long way to go and we got a short time to get there versus creating a place that people enjoy being. And can they coexist? Candidly, not only have we been not great at the customer experience, we spent some time on that, but we've also been not great on the employee experience. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how and whether they can coexist. We really have to build fast. We have to go from 3% penetration to 30% penetration. That is the chasm that we're crossing. How do they coexist? It is a real challenge because we are growing fast as an industry. People are working hard. So it's hard to create a place that people are working hard and still have a great employee experience. That has to begin with, with culture and with trust again. You have to be very selective about who you're hiring. And for us, that is a lot around being selective about hiring to our values and making sure people live those values along the way. And if you do that, you can create an environment where people want to come to work. They want to work hard because they know what they're doing is important. They trust the people they're working with. They really love the people they're working with. And they want to be successful for our world. They want to be successful for our customers. And they want to be successful for each other. And that's really what creating a great culture based on values is all about. It's also about um, hiring to the brand, which is what Mark means when he talks about hiring to our values, right? Uh, Nico, I think I told you the story of when I was with Target, there was a hiring fair and people were in the parking lot and they were filling out applications and I saw something brilliant happen. The store uh, director walked out, took the microphone and said to everybody, hold on to your applications. Don't complete them yet. We're going to open the store in 15 minutes. And all we want to do is assign you to a door and have you say hello to our customers as they come in. 50% of the people got in their car and drove away. And she turned to me and she said, mission accomplished. Because if we hadn't hired to our brand, all the training in the world wouldn't have caused those people to care about the customer and the customer experience. It's either inherent or it's not, and you can't teach it. And so we're very, very cautious to hire people who are like-minded, right, and who have this focus on the client and wanting to provide a really uh, exceptional experience. And I think across industries, uh, most companies find that uh, to be true. Hire, hire to the brand, hire to the values that you want, and look for people who have them already. I want to make an observation. It's not one that I think we should leave in. I feel like I'm listening to the episode unfold, and I want to talk about it with you for a second. The same company. There's a roofing company, DRI Roofing, that I questioned the guy. I was like, why is this a value? Do you know what I did for the first two weeks I was on that job? I went out on commercial rooftops and worked as a laborer, like a day laborer, like worked my ass off. I had to go buy roof, like construction boots. I like sealed rooftops and like learned how to, a flashing goes in. And for some reason, my boss at some point who came in after me, he came from Sun Power, said, why are we sending our sales guys out to do this? We shouldn't do that. And like, I was the only one because I had come in before him. I was the only one who had that experience. And I was the first employee 
I was the first hire in and I was the last person they let go when they ultimately shut down the energy division. And none of the other sales guys understood roofing at all. None of them understood how to speak to the side of the business that sold roofing or understood why they were so protective of their client, their roofing client, and they wouldn't cross sell. But I got it because I literally walked the roof with those guys. I, I sat in meetings with them when they were trying to close for the first two weeks I was there. And I understood how long they had spent five years developing this relationship. Like hell, they were going to kick it over to the solar team. Fuck that, right? Anyway, <laughs> man, when I'm listening to this, that's why I know that we're creating something that the right listener, the right business owner, the right, like the person who has, who's cultivated the kind of humanity that we want to see as business owners in this industry, they're going to hear this and it's going to inspire them. I really appreciate that. When you think about it, Nico, when people are sitting back and thinking about scaling their business, particularly given the incredible infusion of incentives that are going to come into the market, right? How many are sitting down and thinking, one of the first things I need to do is get my culture right. I need to hire to the brand and I need everyone focused on eliminating friction and roadblocks and, you know, their journey with us, right? Because if you can do that, that becomes a really important business purpose and culture, and it will have an incredible impact uh, on, on your success. Do you know what would be cool coming out of this if the people who were listening just had a single aha moment mm -hmm. of something that's not extraordinarily complex, but incredibly important? I think that would be remarkable just to share our journey with other people and have them step back and say, given where this industry is going, this incredible infusion of incentives, our need to scale, what do we need to be looking at that we may be overlooking now? Because really, that's all we can share is what we found that was relatively easy to execute, but difficult to learn. Gentlemen, I'd love to hear as we close your vision for the future of solar and how our industry will need to evolve to meet the needs of that early majority that are waiting for companies like GreenSpark and Pivot, and DSD, Harman Solar, Sun Badger, and hundreds more to bring the solar revolution to the next phase of growth. The future of solar isn't about O&M. It's not about service. It's about satisfaction. It's about surprise and delight your customer with the experience they have, at, to Mark's point, throughout the entire ownership experience. And more importantly, given the technology that we have available to us now, creating that experience is not about being responsive. It's about being proactive and predictive. Because when you think about in our industry, if you want to surprise and delight the customer, what's the best way to do that? Tell them they've got a problem before they even know they have a problem and fix the problem before they ever know it existed. That's the way to do it, right? Because that's going to cause people to talk. And that's going to result in references and referrals and not, you know, a cost center, but a revenue generator longer term. We don't have to look that far out to just step back and say, how do we need to transform, not change, not alter, but transform the customer experience. And the way we transform that customer experience is thinking completely differently, think Apple, <laughs> about that customer experience completely differently. It's not about O&M. It's not about being reactive. It's not about service. That's not it. It's about being proactive. It's about being predictive. It's about surprising and delighting and fixing issues before people ever knew they had them. And the interesting thing about it is that capability is in our hands today. 
it was opened up by this technology. This technology that the Internet of Things, that every solar system is connected to the Internet, allowed us to surprise and delight our customers. But we've only just begun to do that. Omnidian is really the first company to be delivering on that. That's the most exciting part of my day. We survey every customer after every touchpoint through a tool called Delighted. And those reviews then come in and they hit they hit a Slack channel that we have. I read every single one of those every single day. A small subset of those will then actually choose to go put up a Google review. And you can see our Google reviews. Those are all public. But we've got 20, 100 times as many, probably at least 100 times as many delighted reviews. And I read those every single day. And those, we learn from those. There are things we, we still need to do better. The ones that are most exciting and are like, what we're trying to do are when we surprise and delight the customer. And we do this often. And it's when the, the customer always says something similar. They say, I didn't know I had a problem. And Omnidian called and said, you have a problem and we're going to come take care of it. And that is like no experience they've ever had with anything else they've ever owned. That is what keeps, keeps me going on this journey with Omnidian. It's like, we, we need to do this for more customers. We need to do this for every customer every time. And this, we have these incredible tools now that will allow us to surprise and delight our customers. Let's use them. Let's get better and better at it. And you know, let's deliver this great, this great customer experience around a product set that is changing, changing the, 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 that is saving the world. And think about what you just said, right? In terms of like when the moment of opportunity is, things will go wrong. If we get a delighted review for whatever reason, and it doesn't meet our standards, it gets elevated to the executive team immediately. Because we realize that when you think about great customer uh, experiences in retail, Nordstrom built their reputation on it. You know, there's that famous story, someone walked in with a car tire and wanted to return it. And Nordstrom doesn't sell car tires. And they took it and gave the customer a credit. Or when you think of Amazon, Amazon isn't 100 million things. It's the process of uh, searching for what you want and finding it and the process of ordering it and the condition in which it's ordered. And the greatest opportunity for Amazon is when they have to do a make good. (laughs) It's like, we'll send you a new one. Just keep the one you've got. When we start thinking like that as an industry, like retail does, about this idea of things will go wrong, it's not that they went wrong. It's how quickly and how you respond to them. And if you respond to them, you probably have a a fan for life. And in this increasingly data-centric world that Mark pointed to, we have technology and technology platforms that surface this data in ways that allow us to to surprise and delight customers in ways that, uh, that we haven't done before, ways that suggest that we're here for you. We've got your back. We guarantee the performance of this product. You can go worry about other things. The future of solar is in the hands of the companies who have developed and cultivated the cultural understanding that customer delight has more to do with reassuring them that the resilience we sold them in the beginning is going to be there. They can rely on their lights to turn on the same way, the same way they did before they decided to go solar. And uh, we're carrying on the legacy of Thomas Edison. The idea that energy security uh, and that 
that personal comfort can coexist and that we can do that at the same time uh, while preserving the optionality for our neighbors and for generations to come. I think that our industry is moving into an era where it's not about the competition of who can get to the next neighbor and who can give them the lowest price, but rather who can guarantee that the customer experience will be the same tomorrow as it will be 10 years from now. That's 100% true, right? Because we're not selling things, we're selling experience and we're not selling a product. Uh, We're selling uh, an experience that will last 20 or 25 or 30 years or longer. And when we start to look at what we're selling and the promises we're making around that kind of time frame, that's when the industry is going to mature and is going to be able to scale to its full potential. And that's what we're so excited about. Mark, do you have anything you wanted to add? About selling trust. We're selling these systems to deliver electricity from the sun that are supposed to last 25 or 30 years. And people don't want solar systems. They don't want to be out maintaining stuff. Nico, I know you have kids. I have kids. We're doing this for our kids, but we also want to spend time with our kids. Like, I don't want to spend time fixing my solar system or trying to find somebody to fix my solar system. I want to spend time going to soccer games with my kids. That's what the customer wants. They want to be able to have solar electricity without it being a hassle for 25 years. And they want somebody they can trust to deliver that for them. And that's what we're aiming to be. And we get there through the through technology, but we also get there through the culture of our team. I hope we never forget the reasons that all of us individually got into this business in the first place, because that's what will inspire and fuel us. We're very lucky to be in a business where we're making an important change. We're having an impact on the world. We're helping to save the planet. We're reducing the cost of energy for people. And if we can just remember whatever that individual reason was, why we came into it, that is what's going to continue to inspire us because we're really at an incredible, fortunate place in time, right? When you think about what's going on right now, this is unprecedented in the history of the country. It's like, this is a point of inflection and people are going to be looking for the way forward. And the one thing we just have to remember is what got us here won't get us there. And if that just sends us on a journey to explore how we should look at our business and our world differently, I think we'll find not only the observations we've made, but observations that a lot of our clients give to us all the time about their own uh, journey and their own discoveries. But it's just a wonderful time to be in this industry and in this business. Mark, Brad, thank you for sharing from the, the true wellspring of experience that you all bring, not just to the team that you've built, but to the industry at large. Uh, I personally have grown and learned as I've gone on this journey to explore how we go beyond the Maytag repairman, how we go beyond the idea that we'll go fix it if it breaks, because we promised that it wouldn't, to really delight and engage in the customer experience that every customer deserves. Thank you for helping set, set the standard and raise the bar. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode in this six-part series exploring the future of solar from the Promise Keepers, helping the solar industry cross the chasm and reach mass market success. Many thanks to the expert contributors sharing their insights in this series, and to our partner Omnidian, who helped make it possible. 
I hope you'll subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on the web at mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar, where you can learn more about each guest and dig into the references highlighted in today's conversation. If you're completely unfamiliar with Suncast, well, I'm honored that you've listened all the way through this episode. I've interviewed hundreds of founders, leaders, entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs in the clean energy industry over the last seven years in an effort to help you figure out exactly where you fit in the clean energy transition. If you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to give other Suncast episodes a listen. It's the most comprehensive podcast in existence, documenting the rise of the solar and clean energy revolution from the voices of the leaders brave enough to stand on the front lines. Beyond O&M, the future of solar is a production of Suncast Media and is brought to you by Omnidian. They'd also love to partner with you in scaling your solar business. Find out how by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash future of solar. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.